Jenna Ellis in the morning on American Family Radio. One of the president's ride-or-die defenders is legal advisor Jenna Ellis. It's such a political prosecution and a political persecution. Quote. This to me is a clear violation of the Fourth Amendment. It's revisionist originalism. Tolerance just isn't a two-way street with the Democrats. And I think that tells you all we need to know. Newsmax contributor and former legal counsel to President Trump. Jenna Ellis. Happy Monday morning. And, you know, World War III has still not broken out quite yet. So we are still broadcasting um, across the nation here on American Family Radio. And we will, of course, be praying for our country and for our nation in the wake of a lot of, I think, really uh, serious issues that are facing the country. And one of those things continues to be Bidenflation. Uh, While the president and the White House continue to uh, say that, you know, hey, this is normal and no big deal. And uh, yes, gas and eggs and everything else are, of course, the same price as they were a couple of years ago. We know and our wallets know that that simply isn't true. And uh, the GOP majority whip Tom Emmer yesterday tweeted that American families can't take any more of Bidenflation. House Republicans are working to build an economy that's strong for every American. So how do we face this and uh, what is going on? So Uh, My first guest is Tho Bishop, who actually used to work with the U.S. House Committee on Financial Services, and he's now with the Von Mises Institute that, uh, if you're not following on social media, has a lot of really good information about uh, economic philosophy and how to tackle these issues and simply understand them if uh, you are like me and, you know, didn't major in economics in in school and simply took the 101 class. Um, But Tho, good morning, and I wanted to get your take first and your reaction to this uh, CNN clip on inflation numbers and what uh, the left is suggesting about inflation. So this is cut to an unwelcome sign. Inflation heated up in January. The PCE price index rose 5.4 percent from a year ago and up 0.6 percent from December, hotter than December's monthly gain of just 0.2 percent. Inflation is a byproduct of a strong economy. And it's more evidence the Fed may have to keep interest rates higher for longer. In line with other recent data, we also learned consumer spending rose a strong 1.8 percent in January, but personal income a little less than expected 0.6 percent. Now, consumers are feeling upbeat about the economy. A closely watched survey shows consumer sentiment hit a 13-month high in February. But it's the inflation news getting so much attention. It is a blip in a trend otherwise showing inflation peaking. J.P. Morgan Chase CEO Jamie Dimon this week warned that inflation could become insidious and threaten growth. I have all the all respect for Jay Powell. Uh, but you know the fact is we lost a little bit of control of inflation. Models didn't pick that up. The Fed has raised interest rates eight times in a historic bid to tackle inflation back to its 2% target. At least for now, that work is not done. All right, though. So I guess we're just talking about inflation too much. And this is really a sign of a strong economy. Right. Just do not ignore, ignore what is going on behind the curtain right now. Um, you know, the, the price of eggs is a sign of a strong economy. Unfortunately, this is exactly the sort of absurdity that really has become mainstream within the economics profession as a whole. And the problem is, is that you know, what we have right now is an economy that, that is not grounded on you know, anything fundamental. It's grounded on this, this very disruptive Keynesian economic philosophy um, that has really politicized 
money, it's politicized markets. And in doing so, the what the government is reliant upon is this outstanding propaganda campaign of you know picking out certain data points and things like that to try to convince average people, the ones that are screwed over the most by inflation, that don't worry, everything is okay, the experts are in charge. Um, Jamie Dimon is correct. I mean, inflation is out of control, and the Fed doesn't know what to do about it. Well, if the Fed doesn't know what to do about it, and clearly the Biden administration and its diversity hires uh, really don't know what to do about it either, uh, what can average Americans think about it? And what do you think that uh, the House Republicans, uh, like the House Majority Web Tom Emmer and Speaker of the House Kevin McCarthy, uh, should be focused on what could they actually accomplish with only the majority in the House, not, of course, the Senate and the White House? Well, I think at best right now, creating a speed bump from further uh, aggressive expansion of, of government budgets is, is a good way. Yeah, I, I think that's about as much as you can do. The problem is, though, is a lot of this stuff is very systemic right now. Um, you know, we, we're dealing with, with $33 trillion in, in government debt. That's really only a small piece of the pie when you consider, um, you know, the entitlement programs that are not counted within those numbers. So politically, I mean, the political will in this country, I think, to really address, you know, when, when Paul Ryan you know, even hinted at, Modest reforms there, right? Democrats were showing, throwing grandmother off the, the cliff. You know, I don't know what the political will is to deal seriously um, with the long-term consequences. And all of this, you know, all this government spending contributes to inflation. Um, the Fed's money printing is in part to help empower what, you know, the, the, the out-of-control budgets of the Congress. The two are hand-in-hand. Hand. And so until you get both a Congress and you get a, a Fed that are serious about dealing with this runaway trajectory that was, you know, it's gone on for decades now, um, you know, there's, and, and there's going to be pain, and that's that's that is the, the political uh, side of it that makes all of this extremely difficult. And unfortunately, I think we're really living in an age of it's not simply bad economics; it's almost economic denialism that you know we can get something for nothing, and it's something that honestly both sides of the aisle have been on board with for a very long time. And this is why I think economic literacy is one of the great crises of our day. Uh, it starts at the high school level and upwards. And again, what's really dangerous is when the experts have so much power, uh, you know, follow uh, this complete uh, uh, absence of any sort of true economic guidance. I'm speaking with Tho Bishop, who is with the Von Mises Institute and previously uh, worked with the uh, GOP uh, U.S. House Financial Committee and uh, Financial Services Committee. And, um, you know, this this seems to be so basic that we should have economic literacy, that we shouldn't be just um, printing money, that we shouldn't be sp- uh, spending and sending billions of dollars to Ukraine. Um, how much of an impact has uh, the the budget over, I mean, of course, you know, this, this has been decades, like you've said, but how much um, can we potentially attribute to our I would say reckless uh, spending and overspending in Ukraine to some of the inflation that's going on now, if we can at all. It certainly played a, a part of that, right? As, as a, I think fifty billion dollars in medical and uh, military aid alone. Um, I believe that you know, when you include financial assistance and you can uh, include humanitarian relief, which okay, maybe maybe we, we would consider humanitarian relief a little bit different than military spending. Fine. Um, but all of this is, you know, is, is on a, on a credit card that we can't pay back right now. Um, and then, of course, when you combine that with all the other excesses of the, of the Biden administration spending on infrastructure packages and Green New Deal type of things and, you know, all these sort of insanities that we've, we've had added on onto a budget that was already being stressed after all the, the, the incredible spending programs that were surrounded by COVID. I mean, what it is, is just, it's just an escalating. It's, it's what we're creating are new normals every single, you know, every few years. 
we're, we're normalizing even more reckless levels of, of deficit spending. And obviously, Ukraine is one of those issues. And, you know, and unfortunately, an American foreign policy that is not America first, um, but is, is far too aggressive and interventionist abroad, um, has played a, a major trend, or may have played a major part of this trend. So absolutely, every every dollar. And, and the problem, I mean, the most concerning thing about this, so it's, it's not only what we've spent so far, but what we're going to spend in the future, because you know, so many of the policy hawks, or the, the military hawks on both sides of the aisle, you know, they, they don't see an end to this war that doesn't include, um, you know, Ukraine taking back Crimea and the Donbass regions and things like that. And while you know, I understand it from a Ukrainian perspective, from for the American national interest perspective, you know, how much money are we going to fund to Ukraine so that they can take back Crimea that we lost in 2014? There's no end to the table. There's no plan. And that's the scary thing about this. Yeah, I mean, you know, imagine if our our politicians in Washington, especially the Democrats, were um, more concerned about the best interests of America than they were, uh, you know, sending everything over to Ukraine. That would uh, be a a really, really good thing and be very helpful. Um, But you also mentioned uh, the budget and the reckless spending, uh, Tho Bishop from uh, the Mises Institute. And you know, this has been a persistent problem, um, even with Republicans who who have this idea that as government is a non-revenue generating institution, that it can simply pass packages on what it wants to spend on. And you know, when we're talking about infrastructure and transportation, it's um, a little ridiculous looking at what's going on in East Palestine, Ohio, and how uh, none of the reckless spending uh, prevented uh, that and some of these other domestic issues that um, really have practical implications on our lives. But how important is it to pass a a constitutional amendment or a requirement that we have a balanced budget? Um, this is one of the three items that's on the Article 5 Convention of States project that I am in favor of. I endorsed that years and years ago. Um, a lot of our good friends and conservatives um, have also endorsed that project. But whether it's uh, through an Article 5 convention of the states or whether um, you know it's it's actually through Congress that decides to curb its own spending. How important is a balanced budget amendment and do you see uh, that at all in the foreseeable future? Um, I'm, a little, I'm a big fan of the Article 5 convention and particularly my, my preference there would kind of be focusing on, on the IRS and the direct taxation of, of Americans um, in part because but we've, we've seen workarounds, even at state levels, of getting around, say, balanced budget amendment sell things. So that's assuming that you could get that at the federal level. Um, you know, again, you know, would that include entitlements? Would that include, you know, there's, there's, there's unfortunately, there's ways to kind of gain that system, I think, um, that, that has me a, a little more skeptical about that approach. Um, what, what I do, you know, what, what I do think we need generally, I think if we, if we want to try to identify a way to reduce the, you know, egregious nature of federal recklessness, and with, without completely destroying services and programs and all the things that Americans have you know, become reliant upon. And I, I think really the most disgusting thing about this is that in spite of $33 trillion of debt, you know, the, the, the foundations of this country don't work right. You know, our, our train, you know, trains are, are, are derailing. Um, I, I think we kind of feel that it's, it's, it's material decay of, of our cities as, you know, while we're going into debt, which I think is a really frustrating. But what we need, I think, is, is kind of really rediscovering our federalist roots, and so, I mean, we were able to block grant out you know, a lot of these federal-driven programs right now. A lot of the states take care of it, right? I think that the more that we can decentralize, um, you know, how we are spending this money, where are these programs being administrated? Um, that's not going to solve, you know, we're not going to find thirty-three trillion dollars in the, you know, and the couch cushions, you know, from that alone. 
Um, you know, there's, there's going to be some serious conversations, I think, to have about, you know, where our spending priorities are. Um, but there's also some incredible research about how, um, you know, spending at a more state and local level, um, in particular, the size of constituencies um, within states. New Hampshire has a, has a larger state house than California. Um, the more voters per representative, the worse services you usually get. That kind of explains why California is in the depressing state that it's in. Um, and so I think trying to federalize and, and to, to, to decentralize a lot of these programs is the best approach that, that conservatives, I think, should be taking um, to try to uh, uh, get something resembling federal sanity and get it away from the monsters in D.C. Um, and not that everyone in town and then state capitals are great either. Right. But, but they're a little bit better. There's, there's different incentives involved. Um, I think that is an approach going forward. And unfortunately, this is exactly what. Republicans and, and President Trump tried to do with uh, a health care approach uh, back in 2019 that, that John McCain helped kill. And unfortunately, we're, we're seeing the consequences yet again of, uh, you know, the, the, that the McCain style mindset that kept consolidating power within that, that D.C. behemoth. And hopefully, um, you know, Republicans can start bringing more rhetoric and attention to that going forward and, and maybe some election cycles down the road. We can get serious about returning more power to the states, less to the insanity of D.C., and that can make perhaps can bend that arc of uh, you know further escalating uh, fiscal sanity to something that might be sustainable in the future. Yes, yeah, so well said, uh, Tho Bishop, uh, with the Mises Institute. And I think returning to federalism on uh, almost any issue that we're dealing with in politics, whether it's overspending, whether it's uh, healthcare, whether it's education, uh, really anything, we we were founded on the idea of a decentralized government and making sure that state sovereignty mattered and that our representatives were close to the people. But we've seen this behemoth of a federal government grow more and more and more out of control. Control. And um, so that's really well said. And I would encourage everyone who's listening, you know, to make sure that you are uh, taking all of the opportunities that you can to influence your state and local legislatures. If you are someone who is passionate about economics, you know, this could be uh, the thing that you carry to your state legislature and see what is going on and make sure that, um, you know, th- that all of your legislators understand what your priorities are as the people who are represented. So Tho Bishop was my guest and you can follow him at T-H-O Bishop on Twitter and provides a lot of really great information as well as the Mises Institute. We'll be right back with more here on Jenna Ellis in the morning. A hundred and twenty witch doctors come to Christ. This is Bible League International. In Indonesia, Pastor Tandi invited a witch doctor on the island of Papua to hear the gospel. The man came with a hundred and twenty apprentices, men and women learning witchcraft. And after hearing the gospel preached, they all accepted Jesus and are growing his believers, but they need Bibles. You can send one today for only five dollars. Fifty dollars sends ten, every gift matched. Call eight hundred yes word, eight hundred Y E S W O R D, or give it sendbiblesnow.org. This is Bible League International. Many women in the Middle East are treated as less valuable, forced to marry young, and denied an education, meaning that many cannot read or write. So Bible League is giving them the gift of literacy and dignity and showing them God's great love. Magda was asked by her husband to skip these literacy classes, but she endured and something beautiful came about. Learn what she did to win her extremist husband over. Hear it all now. It's only 15 minutes and free of charge at BibleLeague.org slash podcast. BibleLeague.org slash podcast. 
Yeah. God made his design for marriage and family absolutely clear. Unfortunately, Satan has a totally opposite view. The Marriage Family Life Conference 2023 wants to restore God's plan. July 6th through the 8th at the Cadence Bank Arena and Conference Center in Tupelo, Mississippi, strengthen your marriage and your family with Miki Addison. The family, God's tool to advance the gospel and grow the church. This is why the enemy attacks it so much. Israel Wayne. The latest government statistics say dads spend 19 minutes a day with their children, and the average mom spends an hour a day. We have to have time with them. Stephen Black. This lust, this inordinate desire, actually brings destruction to everyone around. How do you know this? Because I used to be homosexual. And many more. The Youth Apologetics track is back as well. The Marriage Family Life Conference 2023, for His glory alone. Register today at marriagefamilylife.net. Hello, Americans. I'm Todd Stern. Stand by for news and commentary next. Liberty University's K-12 Online Academy is the best of a homeschool, private school, and Bible-based education all rolled into one. With LUOA, you can take charge of your child's learning environment and create a structured yet flexible schedule that works for your family. Our qualified teachers are easily accessible for guidance and support along the way. And with new classes starting every Monday, it's never too late to make the switch to LUOA. To learn more, text LUOA to 88741. That's LUOA to 88741. An Ohio grade school is under fire for holding a voluntary class on Christian history. Since 2018, Lipsick Elementary School has held a voluntary lecture called Christian History Class. Aside from learning about faith, the children participated in Operation Christmas Child, the shoebox ministry of Samaritan's Purse. Now, the Freedom From Religion Foundation filed a complaint and threatened to sue the school. They say it's against the law for public schools to teach or promote Christianity. They said their client's child opted out of the program and felt isolated and bullied. Instead of standing up for their constitutional rights, the school district surrendered to the atheist. They say the class will no longer be offered during the school day. The Freedom From Religion Foundation says schools are supposed to educate, not indoctrinate. I would encourage you, read my book and see what the atheists are doing to our schools. Culture Jihad at ToddSterns.com. Welcome back to Jenna Ellis in the Morning on American Family Radio. Welcome back. And we're discussing, of course, the current uh, news of the day and the most important trending headlines. And one of those things is how close are we really to World War III and how the Biden administration and Joe Biden continues to edge us closer and closer and closer uh, to a more major conflict. Um, so Alan West is a retired Army lieutenant colonel and, of course, a fan favorite of this show and I think a fan favorite of just anyone who knows him uh, at all. And he's a former Florida congressman and also has a Substack uh, podcast. You, if you go to the alanwest.substack.com, you can uh, listen to his steadfast and loyal podcast where he gets into a lot of the really important issues. And uh, he joins me now. So um, Lieutenant Colonel West, uh, what is your take first before we get into another um, c- kind of you know, related but different topic? I wanted to get your take first on the state of the world and foreign policy and how the Biden administration is uh, is really handling all this and your perspective on Joe Biden going to Ukraine on President's Day instead of going to Ohio. How close really are we to engagement or the steps being fomented towards World War III? 
Well, it's good to be with you, Jenna, and good Monday morning. You, you know, you really can't you know, predict what may happen because human nature is, is very strange. But I can tell you that the place that we find ourselves globally today is because of the weakness of the Biden administration, because of what happened in the uh, debacle in Afghanistan. And it really uh, gave an enticement to our enemies, such as Russia, China, Iran, North Korea, and Islamic jihadism. And that's where we find ourselves today. So if we had a strong foreign policy, if we were focusing our national security and our military not on proper pronouns and all the other wokeness that is out there infecting our military, we would not have these incursions that we see or the threats that we see of China against uh, Taiwan and and other places, the resurgence of Islamic jihadism. As far as are we going to be in some great world conflagration, I don't know if we will get to that point, you know, going back and looking at a World War II or World War III, but without a doubt, we're going to have these flashpoints. And we're going to have flashpoints there. Uh, Ukraine is one. It could be another in the uh, the Pacific Rim as China seeks to expand this regional hegemonic dominance. And they have a global uh, vision as well when you read their One Belt, One Road strategy. But my big concern for us here in the United States is the porous open border that we have. And I live here in Texas. The fact that we're going to find more terrorists trying to come across this border because we're dealing with a terrorist organization, and that's what, who the cartels are. And I'm speaking with uh, retired Army Lieutenant Colonel Allen West, who is a former member of Congress from Florida, uh, currently in Texas, and the host of a wonderful uh, podcast on his Substack. You can find him at Allen West on Twitter. And Sir, you know, you, you make a great point that we are getting um, a lot of inflection points on a variety of fronts. And the border, of Mm -hmm. course, is a major, major crisis the Biden administration is not addressing and foreign policy, wokeness in the military. And, uh, you know, when you look at something like the Chinese spy balloon that um, was was probably one of the most bizarre stories uh, in terms of how the Biden administration handled it. Um, what does that signal to you about the readiness and the responsiveness of our military to actually take care of domestic threats like that? I mean, if, if something like an ICBM were actually launched toward the United States, I mean, obviously we have countermeasures in place, but I'm concerned and I'm hearing from a lot of listeners who are very concerned that uh, the military just wouldn't be ready to deal with this on a bigger scale. No, we look like Barney Fife, uh, as a matter of fact, when you are able to detect this balloon over the Lucian Islands and, you know, you, you don't respond to it. You allow it to continue to uh, on its path over Alaska, over Montana, hover over military installations, traverse across the United States of America. And then finally, you decide to take actions when it's uh, on the other side in the Atlantic Ocean. So, again, that is encouraging. And when you hear Democrats say that it was embarrassing, China, no, it was emboldening to China to see was what they were able to do. And so, you know, could that have been a test run for an EMP attack or for a hypersonic uh, missile attack or something along those lines? I mean, they're probing 
our even our national defenses. And now we even have Russian aircraft that are, you know, getting very close to U.S. airspace. And so we have seen our military pick up this winter training up in Alaska and really focus up there because of uh, the concerns we have uh, on those security breaches. So again, when, you know, China and Russia and everyone reads our newspapers and they see that the Secretary of Defense is sending a letter out across the military telling females that they need to be prepared for biological males taking showers with them, that lets them know that our focus is not in the right place. When you have Islamic jihadists that are able to work with the cartels and bring terrorists across the border, uh, we are really in some semblance of a war against China. They see it that way. COVID was a biological attack. And fentanyl is a chemical attack. You know, we have lost 100,000 Americans primarily to fentanyl in one year. Uh, so tell me, you know, China is the producer of this fentanyl. It's shipped to the cartels. They manufacture it. They refine it. They bring it across a wide-open border. So we are losing Americans already, and we have an administration that is abdicating its constitutional duty and dismissing it. Look, look at the fact that you had no Democrats show up for the House Judiciary Committee uh, hearing down on the border. None of them. Uh, that should tell you something. This is an impeachable offense, Jen, Jenna, and, and I think that we need to start looking at it that way. Absolutely. I 100% agree with you, uh, Lieutenant Colonel Allen West, that this is something that is an impeachable offense. And that's what Congress uh, with the House majority really does need to take seriously. And even if they can't get to the uh, two thirds of the Senate in terms of a conviction in the Senate, uh, they can, with their majority, file articles of impeachment. They do need to take all measures to hold um, a, a reckless runaway executive accountable for all of these different ways that they are purposefully derelicting their duty. I mean, this isn't just about differences in policy. Uh, You know, policy we can debate all day, but the fundamentals of the obligations under the Constitution really matter. And speaking of, um, you know, all of these other Items that, uh, you know, we are focused on from the progressive left and how, uh, you know, the military isn't really focused on doing their job, at least in the sense of uh, the national leadership and all of these people like General Milley, who, um, you know, are focusing more on wokeness in the military uh, than they are about actually doing their job. And there are so many people, wonderful men and women who serve in the military. I'm an advocate for the military. I respect their service. This is all about uh, more the people who are in charge. And I wanted to get your reaction, uh, Colonel West, to this this clip that um, is from a a source called The Cut, um, you know, and, and not really sure uh, the media perspective there in terms of uh, where this originated, but it was posted on a page called End Wokeness. If you're not following on, on Twitter, um, everyone, you should. Uh, there's a lot of really great content that this particular account posts. And uh, the question that was given to a wide variety of individuals, and they kind of just, you know, cut, uh, clip through everyone's responses. The question is, what exactly are white people superior at? Now, my opinion, of course, is that that's a flawed question, and I would object to the premise of that question. But the whole point here in asking these people of color that particular question is to show the thinking of the the fomenting of wokeness and particularly racism against uh, white people in America and how the left is trying to divide us. So listen uh, to this. This is, I believe, cut one. 
What are white people superior at? <laughs> what exactly are white people superior at? They're real good at violence. Violence? Genocide. It's like stealing people's lives just because they feel like it. If you are white and you know this is happening and you say nothing, then you're a killer too. What exactly are white people superior at? Insecurity? Pretending? Fear? Being fearful of nothing. Being ignorant? Blame? Letting their egos control their every move. Superior at being What exactly are white people superior at? Oppression? Gaslighting? Lack of empathy. Intellectualizing oppression. Did I say oppression? What exactly are white people superior at? Taking what's not there? Taking shit. Taking our ideas. Copycatting. Gentrification. Appropriating things that do not belong to them. Taking over other people's cultures and making you believe that they invented it. Maybe they're thinking of it as repurposing. It's like recycle and repurpose. As my grandma was saying, the white folk, they'll take it if you don't copyright it. They are very good at destruction of land, destruction of people, destruction of humanness. Republican, whether you're Democrat, whether you're conservative, like white people are really good at upholding white supremacy. How about claiming that, you know, they are actually a whole separate race when actually white DNA comes from the black female. So what exactly are white people superior? Honey, lying, stealing and cheating. Manipulation. Withholding information. Lying. Telling lies. So, uh, Lieutenant Colonel Allen West, th this just sounds exactly like what the leftists are indoctrinating our young people uh, with through CRT, through so much that conservatives have been pushing back on. But your thoughts on this supercut of wokeness? Well, this is what cultural Marxism is today in the United States of America. Marxism was based upon a division or separation of socioeconomic status. Now it's based upon this whole division uh, on race. And, and I will tell you, Jenna, you and I have met a few times, and you don't oppress me. Uh, I, I am a victor in myself, and I am able to achieve and accomplish what I uh, hope and dream and desire in this country. I was born in a blacks-only hospital uh, 62 years ago of, of this month. And I have never had anyone that has held me back. And I think what is being perpetuated here is a slave mentality, a mentality of victimization, a mentality of oppression that says you can't achieve, you can't rise above. And, you know, demand is holding you back. And if you want to talk about destruction and all of these things, look at our own uh, black communities. But again, these are you know, black leaders that have allowed white liberal progressives to destroy their communities, to destroy the families, to do, you know, destroy black babies in the womb. But yet no one is talking about that. So if they want to talk about the real ills of the black community, we can start by talking about what I call the four S's of the Democrat Party. It is segregation. It is secession. It is slavery. It is socialism. None of that has done anything good for the black community. So I think that what people need to focus on is really the nexus of all the ills and problems that have been caused in the black community. And also the fact that you have these congressional black caucus, uh, National Urban League, all of these other black organizations – they have not done anything really to advance the situation of the black uh, community. They just kept them as victims on a new economic plantation. Yeah, very, very well said. And uh, Lieutenant Colonel Allen West, um, you know, th this is just something that I, I think is only accelerating and 
dividing Americans on purpose on the basis of skin color. Um, you know, yeah. when I was in law school and, um, you know, I, I can remember even 10 years ago, um, a lot of the divisions were on the basis of uh, sex and gender. And so, you know, and it was always uh, women don't need men. And there was um, this huge division and everyone uh, was telling me, of course, you know, as a woman, well, you know, you're superior and this is why. And but you are also a victim because especially the law profession, uh, the legal profession is a man's world and you need to go out and, you know, take what you deserve and all of these things that were fomenting feminism. And it is a part of cultural Marxism and a total lie that we as the human race should be divided uh, and uh, valued on the basis of our intrinsic characteristics as human beings. I mean, Mm -hmm. there is no difference in merit between me as a woman or my skin color, or anything else, or even my age. Um, You know, there are differences, but I thought that the left supposedly celebrated and championed diversity, but now they're just trying to use that against us so that the first and, frankly, only things that we see about each other are differences instead of being fellow human beings and coming together under a common creed that is all of us being American. So how do we think about this biblically and combat this mentality that I think is so prevalent in our society. Well, I think that's the key thing, Jenna. And, you know, when you start to look at words like diversity, equity, inclusion, we have to look at it from a biblical perspective and not allow the secular humanists to define what that is. You know, in in Christ, you know, we are diverse people, but there is one thing that brings us together, and that's our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and the salvation thereof. And we have a diversity of gifts and talents. That's what the Bible talks about, the different spiritual gifts that some people have. Uh, When you talk about inclusion— yeah, when you accept Jesus into your life, all of us are included into his kingdom, and and that's what we need to stress, not inclusion based upon these ideological agendas of the left, which is really these perversions that they have come up with. Really, their new religion, uh, you know, this whole gender dysphoria, the, uh, the, the, the gay agenda, all of these things, that's part of their new, uh, their new religion. When you talk about equity, you know, this means equality of outcomes, and the only outcome that we should want to have as Christians is that, you know, we're supposed to go out and disciple the world, and we're supposed to, you know, expand and grow the body of Christ, and I think that that is the outcome that we should be looking toward, is the saving of souls and healing of souls. But this whole thing about being able to determine people's, you know, outcomes as far as where they can go and what they can do, uh, we don't want that. Every single one of us has an equality of opportunity to accept the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. It's the same as We have an equality of opportunity to succeed in this great nation. So well said. Uh, Alan West, you can follow him at Alan West. And also, uh, you can listen to his really great podcast at alanwest.substack.com. And we have to keep our eyes fixed on fulfilling the Great Commission, which is teaching the truth of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and proclaiming his name until he returns. That's why Christians are engaged in the culture, engaged in the political sphere, engaged in everything. This is why we combat all of these different issues in culture, so that we can teach the truth and think of this from a biblical perspective. So we will be right back with more here on Jenna Ellis. In the morning, you're listening to American Family Radio Network. Are you really worshiping God? 
Here's Pastor Jeff Shreve with From His Heart Ministries. So you can come to church and you can dress up nice and you can sing all the songs and you can stand up and you can clap and you can say, praise the Lord. And people around you can say, oh, look how they love God next to me. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Learn how to fall in love with God and find real worship. Join Pastor Jeff Shreve on From His Heart, weeknights at 6 Central here on American Family Radio. When you look around the world, it's bad news almost everywhere. It's hard to see God's presence in our hurting culture today. Next time on Focus on the Family, Dr. Tim Muehlhoff offers hope and encouragement. He'll expand our idea of what an act of God really is and how you can be a part of His work in this world. Next time on Focus on the Family with Jim Daly. Focus on the Family is heard each weekday morning at 5 o'clock Central on American Family Radio. I thank Him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because He judged me faithful, appointing me to His service. My name is Abraham Hamilton III, and this is the Hamilton Minute. In Paul's first letter to Timothy, he expressed his awe, wonder, and amazement at the inexhaustible grace and mercy of God in that he saw fit not only to regenerate Paul, but to also find him worthy for appointment to gospel ministry. Paul knows his history as a blasphemer and a terrorist who sought to destroy the way of Christ following. He stands as a witness to the fact that no one, And I mean no one is beyond the grace of God. Keep praying for your unsaved loved ones. Listen each weekday from 5 to 6 p.m. Central for The Hamilton Corner with Abraham Hamilton III, public policy analyst for the American Family Association. The following is not an actor, but a real-life story from Trinity Debt Management. I'm Corey, and this is my story. I was going through some financial troubles paying off my credit cards. I was paying high interest rates, and it just wasn't getting any better. And I knew I had to do something. So my mom told me about Trinity, and so I decided to call. Trinity was able to do something that I couldn't. I'm paying off my debt. I'm saving thousands, and things are really looking up. I promise you guys, you will not regret it when you call Trinity because it was such a relief and less stress in my life and it was the best thing I could have done for myself because once I called Trinity, they took care of me and I felt such a relief, a weight off my shoulders and they are a Christian-based company. I love it. (laughs) If you're in debt and you need help, call Trinity at 1-800-788-1813. I'm Corey and I'm debt-free for keeps. 1-800-788-1813. Welcome back to Jenna Ellis in the Morning on American Family Radio. Welcome back, and we are talking about the concerns, of course, internally to our culture and to uh, how the left is really trying to foment racism. This is nothing new. I mean, everyone remembers and will recall that that was uh, the number one label and target that uh, they tried to implicate uh, former President Trump um, on that particular charge to try to first get him disqualified from running for president. And then, of course, everything that they didn't like is automatically racist. And it seems like uh, that's what the left is trying to do on an even heightened uh, variety of topics. And 
Interestingly, some people, um, especially now on Twitter and others uh, who are seeing through this charade and this fraud, are pushing back and they're actually talking openly. And one of them is Scott Adams, who is the creator of the internationally syndicated Dilbert comic strip. And full disclosure, I love Dilbert. I think it's hilarious. And um, I kind of grew up on it in a sense um, because, you know, my my dad was always uh, the office worker. And so, um, you know, that that was always just really funny in terms of, uh, you know, his snark in terms of uh, that particular comic strip. But Scott Adams has had um, kind of these uh, these live videos when he goes live and he's talking about a lot of different things. And I don't um, at all always agree with his takes. I think um, they're interesting. And I think he has a very interesting philosophical perspective. But of course, um, he is white and he had um, this conversation that uh, basically he was horrified that a poll of particularly black people showed that only half, only half believe and affirm the statement that it's okay to be white. So he called this hate. And then his recommendation was, well, you know, we just as white people need to stay away from Uh, black people in terms of staying away from this type of hate. Of course, I did not take this conversation and I watched the whole thing um, because this was trending on Twitter and Dilbert is now getting canceled all across the country and Scott Adams has now been uh, convicted in the court of public opinion, which is now apparently the only one that matters of being a racist. And of course, the statements are being clipped out of context. That's called proof texting, um, clipping these into oblivion. And basically taking his statements as saying he wants nothing to do with any black people and therefore he's racist. Um, So the mainstream media verdict, according to an account called Monitoring Bias, uh, said on Twitter, the MSM or mainstream media verdict, Adams is a racist, but not the 20 million black people who think it's not okay to be white. So uh, Elon Musk actually weighed in and his comment was the media is racist. And that got a lot of attention, of course, from uh, the insane liberal leftists who want to laud and uphold uh, Scott Adams as the latest uh, person who has shown white supremacy and, of course, uh, you know, proof texting and clipping his comments out of context means that he's a racist and he just hates black people rather than his commentary on saying this is a really uh, disturbing thing that if you have half of this poll or um, or allegedly about 20 million people in this country who think that someone of a different race other than themselves are automatically uh, our enemies. I mean, this is literally dividing us on the basis of an intrinsic characteristic. It would be no different than dividing us on the basis of sex and having 20 million women in America say, it's not okay anymore to be a man. And, you know, of course, the, the left's response to that would just be, okay, well, that's fine. We have a bunch of men that claim that they're women now, so I guess that's okay. Um, but this is just so ridiculous and so totally bizarre. And I think what Scott Adams in my opinion, inartfully, because he allowed for this type of proof texting that was obviously going to happen. 
uh, very inartfully, but I think courageously addressed an issue that is at the core right now of where our culture is heading, which is total division across all different types of lines. We are divided on the basis of uh, sex. We're divided on the basis of race. We're divided on the basis of political viewpoint. Uh, We're divided on a lot of different uh, bases, and the left is only trying to enhance that. But then once in a while, very, you know, very minimally, but, you know, it's, it's happening a little bit more and more, which is, to be honest, totally shocking. Occasionally, the mainstream media will have some commentator on that for whatever reason actually gets it right. So I like to highlight that on the show to say, you know, there are occasionally moments where the leftist television uh, actually says something valuable. And uh, Nina Turner, who uh, was a uh, commentator on uh, CNN, and of course, uh, she has a lot of very ridiculous takes on Twitter. And um, I can say that in 99% of what I've read from her, uh, I disagree with her takes. I think that she is also uh, a lot of times fomenting these types of divisions, but she actually got it right. Um, She was on a segment with, I think this is uh, Dana Bash, and responding to Uh, the Biden administration's failures and the government's overall failures in East Palestine. And um, Dana initially asked her as a as someone who was uh, apparently born or or, uh, was there in Ohio and uh, was natively an Ohioan um, and and for her take. And uh, Nina Turner actually had a very cogent response that I think really shocked the rest of her panelists. So listen to this. This is cut four. You, Nina Turner, you are a, uh, a daughter of Ohio. I know you've been to East Palestine. Yeah. Do you think that the administration is doing enough? No. Uh, the state administration is not doing enough. I'm not pleased with Governor Mike DeWine, who actually drunk some of the water, giving people confidence that that water is okay, when in fact that EPA didn't do the deepest dive that they can do to deal with the carcinogens that are there, the air, the water. No, and when I went there, then I saw both fear and anger in the eyes of the people there. I had a local guide. His name is John. He grew up in and around that area and also Jess. And I got a chance to talk to some of the people. And one lady that I talked to, she said, I I never want to see another vehicle carrying chemicals come through my community again. And so while you have some on the GOP side saying, less government, you have the residents of East Palestine saying that government is not doing enough. And they have been, not just them, they have been failed by subsequent many administrations. It's not just the Trump administration, it was the Obama administration, now it's the Biden administration. So now we have the facts, they're out there. The NTSB said this could have been avoided. Mm -hmm. The the thing is, what are we going to do to solve the short-term and the long-term needs of the people? And then just one more point. For the neoliberals who say that the residents of that area deserve what they, they are getting because they voted, for President Donald J. Trump. It is abhorrent. Mm. This is about poverty. This is about poor working class white people who are enduring some of the same things that poor working class black people endure, whether it's Flint, Cleveland, or Jackson, Mississippi. And so I want to lay it out that the cultist behavior in politics right now, it is a sin and a shame that when people are suffering to this magnitude, you got people who will fix their mouths, to quote my grandmother, to say that they are getting what they deserve. What they deserve is clean air, clean food, clean water. They deserve relief, both in the short term and also in the long term. 
Isn't that amazing? From Nina Turner on CNN, and she was a former Ohio State Senator uh, and professor, and she uh, now apparently, according to her Twitter bio, is a senior fellow at Race Power Policy. Uh, But in this moment, in this one clip on uh, CNN with Dana Bash, actually got it right and said that Um, All of this kind of cultist tribalism that is dividing us uh, because she, of course, was responding to uh, the ladies of The View. And I believe it was Sunny Hostin who uh, made the comment that um, that the people of East Palestine are getting what they deserve because they voted for Donald Trump, which is is just remarkable how leftists, no matter what happens, will always use any circumstances, any issue, any headline to try to divide us on the basis of politics and we'll try to get Trump, right? So for Nina Turner to actually say, hold on a minute, one other point, we need to actually think about the people and it does not matter whether these are white or black people or anyone uh, in America, everyone deserves clean air, clean water, and for the government on both the federal and the state level to do their job. And of course, on the state level, it's Republican leadership. And on the federal level right now, it's Democrats. And so this may be just one issue that Republicans and Democrats can be nonpartisan, not just bipartisan. I actually like nonpartisan better than bipartisan, but nonpartisan. And just say, you know, this is a failure of both federal and state leadership. This is not about who the people of East Palestine, Ohio, voted for. This is not about Donald Trump versus Joe Biden. This is all about making sure that Americans as a whole, Americans have a government that is actually responsibly addressing their concerns. And it should not matter, and it does not matter, the obligation to them on the basis of skin color. So I applaud Nina Turner for uh, actually having the uh, the guts to say that on CNN and to bring it back uh, to that point and to, to completely disregard what the Uh, incredibly bitter women of The View uh, openly suggest um, all the time on their show. And there there are so many different supercuts that, uh, you know, we could look at from The View because they just get it wrong all the time because their whole point is to simply uh, push back against Republicans and conservatives and push the progressive agenda, regardless of whether it's logical, regardless of whether it makes sense, and regardless of whether it's just basically decent. And so I think Nina was very decent in what she said, and we need more of an attitude of that from the left. But we also, I think, need an attitude of that as well from the right, because as much as we can call out and applaud people like Nina Turner uh, for saying those kinds of things and say, you know, great, well, you know, you are a Democrat and clearly um, you are making some sound statements. We need more of that. We as conservatives and especially um, here on AFR, we are a Christian audience. We need to take the first steps to show what it genuinely looks like to be nonpartisan, to be in the interests of all Americans. And the pushback that I normally get to that statement is, well, you know, you, we have to just fight and we have to win at all costs because, you know, this is, uh, we're not going to survive as a country and all of these, you know, kind of, um, in my opinion, somewhat, somewhat 
fear-mongering statements. Um, Now, I am not diminishing the fact that we have a culture and we have a country right now that is on uh, the brink of disaster. Um, We just spoke about this earlier on in the show about inflation, about uh, being on the precipice of these inflection points of potentially World War III. I mean, I'm certainly not diminishing that. But what I am saying is that we as conservatives need to be the first ones to show the other side what it looks like to care about everyone. And I think we, generally speaking, do that and we do it better than the other side, but we don't always do that in all instances. A lot of times there is so much, especially in politics, that we take the opportunity to slam Democrats but not necessarily give them credit when they do things that are good, when they do things that we can agree with. And I think that we need to do more of that, of trying to uh, not just reach across the aisle or some of these sort of, um, I think, pedantic little phrases, uh, but really genuinely look at not living 24-7 in an election cycle. I mean, we went from the election in 2020 immediately to the midterms and then immediately to uh, the 2024 presidential election. And that is the hyper-political reality that we live in today in America. We don't just have the kind of 90-day election cycle that, for example, Canada does, which you know, I'm not suggesting that um, Canada is the beacon of freedom and liberty and democracy whatsoever. But just for example, some of these other countries that have a much smaller and shorter political election cycle, maybe, maybe can then uh, come back together as to what it means to be members of the same country. And I think it would be incumbent upon us to recognize and uh, and to do that and recognize that we don't live in a hyper-partisan political reality all the time. We should care about our elections. We need to vote in our elections. We need to care what candidates we put up for all offices across the board, not just the presidential nomination, but state and local officials as well. But as much as possible, we need to make sure that we as conservatives are trying to focus our culture and focus our uh, fellow Americans on what it means to be an American together. And if we can do that, then I think we will be much, much more effective because then we are not contributing to this very divisive Republican versus Democrat, red versus blue a type of hyper-partisan 24-7 reality. So that's my challenge for you today. I know it's really difficult to do. I think it's difficult even for me to do since I live in the political spectrum, but we can all try. And we can all, of course, uh, always try to be the best versions of Christ that we can. All right, well, we are already out of time for today, but I wanted to also bring to your attention the Supreme Court is set to hear a student loan forgiveness case tomorrow. You can stream that at 10 a.m. Eastern on the uh, Supreme Court's website. We'll talk about that much more tomorrow. There are two cases before the court to give justices an opportunity to set strict limits over the president's ability to implement policies without express explicit authorization from Congress. This is going to be fascinating. We will We'll talk about it right here tomorrow on Jenna Ellis in the morning. The views and opinions expressed in this broadcast may not necessarily reflect those of the American Family Association or American Family Radio.